Blog Talk Radio. but not broken with host Patrick Scroggins as a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq Patrick faced a devastating crash which resulted in him dying losing a leg and a slew of broken bones Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles each week Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles this is wounded but not broken with your host Patrick Scroggins Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Wounded But Not Broken. We're doing this here on a Thursday night. Uh, life's been pretty busy. It's been a busy summer. Uh, so sorry I didn't get with you last Monday. But uh, tonight, it's going to be, uh, for me, it's a very special show because it's something that's uh, kind of near and dear to my heart. These these gentlemen that, um, you know, they sacrifice everything uh, to get where they are. And then they put it all on the line for this country. And, and uh Obviously, that's near and dear to my heart. So I would really like to introduce uh, Chad Chalky. He was a uh, well. I'll let him tell you, Chad. Hey, Patrick. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, for having me on the show. And um, uh, Chad Chalky, twenty uh, year veteran, retired uh, gunnery sergeant out of the Marine Corps. Um, during my time there, I spent you know the, the portion of that, a uh, good portion of that, a majority of that in either the reconnaissance community or the special ops community, um, uh, with MARSOC. Um, right. So, yeah. So Chad, how did you, or what, first of all, let's just, let's just start at the very beginning. What, what, what made you choose the Marine Corps? Yeah. Fun, funny. Uh, you know, there was real no, um, until I got probably into high school, um, that I, that I chose the Marine Corps. I knew earlier on growing up, you know, just doing what I did and, you know, hanging out with the neighborhood kids, watching the type of TV I watched and all that stuff. And then, and my dad served and everybody in my family served in some capacity, you know, either the Navy or the Army. Um, it, but nobody served in the Marine Corps uh, at that point. And I knew I wanted to be a, a special ops uh, type of operator. I wanted to do, uh, be fit, you know, growing up playing sports and all that stuff. And that's, you know, the, the deciding factor of becoming a Marine for me uh, was, was, was that. It was nobody had served in the, in the Marine Corps, and the Protestant community was very appealing to me. Um, and that's just kind of, that's what kind of stuck with me or, um, you know, took, took over from with, with wanting a Marine and, and, and being in a reconnaissance Marine. Yeah, you know, I think you know, there, unless you're in the in that community, there's there's not a lot talked about about uh, reconnaissance reconnaissance Marines. You know, it's pretty. Um, I don't know. I guess it's it, 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 you just don't hear it. You just, people just don't understand that much about it. So, you know, once you got through basic, tell us about the pipeline that you had to go through. I mean, I I know, but just for the listeners, kind of what you had to put yourself through to become uh, special ops Marine Corps. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's a very kind of not well spoken about or, or put out there. I think they're doing a better job of that today. 
um, of getting it out there as far as advertising now, especially with social media and everything. But yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a very well talked about, um, or out there kind of subject, um, or occupation to do. Um, but yeah, I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, I spent a year, um, I would say a year, you know, going through boot camp, doing the SOI thing, MC, Marine combat training, and then, uh, school of infantry, and then I had the chance, once I got to uh, my infantry unit, which was Charlie Company 1-1, uh, I got the chance, you know, I remember vividly, we're out in the field, and, you know, they came around asking, hey, who wants to go and take the NDOC? Who wants to take the NDOC? So there was like seven of us that raised our hands, and uh, we went to the field CP there, and they asked us a bunch of questions because they could only let one go, and, and I got the questions right. And that's, that, started my, that started me never looking back, you know, getting through one shot and, and not, uh, no, you know, failure wasn't an option at that point. So, um, they told me to load up in the, in the Humvee, went back to the uh, headquarters and I started getting ready. You know, I thought it was going to be kind of the next day thing or that weekend or next week. Um, but I had, I had a little bit of time, a little bit of downtime. So I, I was rucking and I was doing all that. And, um, you know, probably, I don't know, a month later, um, I, I went and took the, uh, the selection for reconnaissance, uh, uh, for recon and, and yeah, I made it, you know, there's no looking back. And that was, that was kind of, kind of what you hear. It's the rucking, the swimming, you know, the physical, uh, agility and all that stuff, um, and whatnot, kind of, kind of same as, as, as most of the, uh, uh, soft community has for, for their guys as well. Yeah, and, and I'm just assuming, I mean, you know, it's it's 90% mental. I mean, obviously, you're physically fitter, you're not going to be there, right? And right. you want to be there, you're not going to be there. So it, a lot of it's mental. You just got to learn how to get over them barriers uh, mentally. And just like you said, failure is not an option. I think that's what, uh, I think that's lacking in our younger youth nowadays. But uh, that's for another topic. So when you, <laughs> when you started... Uh, when you started the, you know, the, when you did the selection, so uh, I'm really not that too familiar with the selection portion of it. I know the pipeline once you get selected, but so can you talk about some of the selection stuff that you did and, you know, uh, how difficult it was? Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was the 10 mile. It turns out to be, you know, roughly 12 miles. You got the, the 50 pound ruck on. Um, you got to do that in a time limit. Um, there's the swim portion, which is a, a huge portion of it. Um, and that's swimming, you know, your 500, 500 meters trend water with, uh, you know, brick out of the water, rifle over your head, trend water for 30 minutes. Um, you know, then, then there's run, there's P, uh, the PT test that you got to do. That's, you know, the standard, uh, and you got to score, but what it was is that you had to score, you know, 285 or better, uh, on the Marine Corps PFT at the time. Um, and then the obstacle course, um, you know, running that, I run that twice and it's got to be done in a certain amount of time. Um, so yeah, yeah, stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. So on a scale of one to 10 difficulty wise, what do you think the selection portion was? Uh, I would, I'd probably say like an eight, eight and a half, nine. Um, yeah. or you know, if you come in there again, if you come in there physically fit, um, you know, in you know, I put it on myself. I, I, I think I scored once below a 285. 
my whole time I was in there, and that's when my daughter was in the in the hospital when she was born, and uh, I was just going through a hard time with her being in the NICU and stuff like that. But you know, it just it just didn't happen. You you always stayed at that at that level of, of readiness uh, with your physical fitness. Um, but mental, mental, yeah, um, going through there, you didn't know when it was going to end, and it's it's nothing but hills, up and down hills uh, of Pendleton there, is at least is where I took mine at for first recon. Um, so, yeah, you just you didn't know when it was going to end because you didn't know the, the distance, and you had to stay up with the group. If you came in at the end uh, behind the group, then, you know, you were, you were subject to being dropped. Yeah. So once you, once you got through selection, uh, walk us through your next steps. Yeah, once you, once you did the uh, in-docket selection and everything, and then you go through this, you know, nowadays it's called, you know, recon uh, range awaiting training and, and whatnot. But we, uh, back then, we would go to a training booklet, and it would get, get us ready for ARC or BRC, you know, MFib recon course or the basic reconnaissance course. And that was nothing but, uh, you know, classes, land navigation, um, a lot of PT getting up in the morning, you know, you got the bone and stuff like that. You're running with building that teamwork, uh, amongst each other, um, it, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it was, it was a lot of just prep for, for the school and what was, what was going to be coming, uh, you know, ahead. Yeah. So, so you, how long, how long did you, was that? So that, that prep course was, we did, that was a two, two month course, um, or training, I guess, if you want to, if you want to do, it wasn't really a course. It was just two, two months worth of training, uh, of doing, you know, that, that type of thing, getting you physically ready, you know, doing a lot of, of swimming, um, making sure you're very confident in the water, um, before they sent you to, to BRC, um, down at Coronado. Gotcha. Yeah. And the reason I want to go through all of this is because I've kind of went through all the, all the, the special ops uh, pipelines kind of, cause I get a lot of questions on how I do this and how I do that. And, and I think you'll agree with me when I say this, uh, you know, when I answer to somebody is it's not, you, you don't want to go in there because uh, it's special ops and you want to be cool. You want to go there because you want to be the one percenters. You want to be the NFL of the military. And if you don't have that mindset, then you don't even need to try out in my opinion, but I, you know, most people agree with me that have been there. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So um, once you once you started that next phase, uh, walk us through that. All right. So once yeah once uh, once BRC starts, um, there's there's several different in BRC. It has since changed. I went through. It is now on Camp Pendleton um, uh, versus Coronado. They still do stuff, you know, water work and all that stuff down down there. But uh, the, the preponderance of it is up on Pendleton now, and it's at the uh, Recon School of Excellence. Um, uh, so phase-wise, you know, you go into your, you know, you've got your uh, your class phase is where you're getting all the classes for your patrolling and everything, uh, your nautical navigation stuff, um, constant PT, um, making sure you're very comfortable in the water. It's test after test. Uh, as far as trading water, make uh, getting ready for swim times that you have to meet, um, and spinning. Um, you got fins on on your uh, feet at this point, and you're uh, you know you're doing stuff in the pool. Get you ready for your open water open water swims. Um, 
you know, going into the next phase, which is your nav phase, your nautical phase, and that's 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 boat work. That's carrying the boats. That's doing everything uh, that involves you know your small uh, small watercrafts, uh, which is your search, your CRCs, four uh, seventies, um, and they do what, what's called an engine appreciation. So you don't have engines on the boat yet. You're doing everything with uh, with paddles, um, going through the surf zones, uh, coming back through the surf zones. You know, getting flipped over, have to broach your boat back over, and and all that stuff. So it's very, you know, again, teamwork because um, it takes a team to do that that stuff, um, and, and and also uh, physical abilities. You know, physical abilities to um, to be able to make the thin times and and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure they weed out the people that they that aren't really committed on, uh, uh, during this time, or are they already weeded out? Oh no, it's it's each phase. You know, you you go through each phase. Uh, back then, you went through each phase, and that's what. Um, if you if you didn't cut the much, it make the make the times or, or whatever, uh, or if you lacked in teamwork or you know peered out and all that stuff, you 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 didn't go on to the next phase. Yeah, yeah, I know that's a big thing there. You you said peered out, and I think uh, kind of to explain that to the listeners, I think you know you get peer evaluations of how you're doing from the guy on your left and right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to you got to be a team player. You, you got to be there for for the right reason, um, and that's and that's to do the job. It's to do the job no matter what. Complete the mission, whatever it is. And the mission at that schoolhouse is to is to get through everything. Um, you know, make the qualifying times, and to get through the each phase together um, as a team. A lot of the stuff now, yeah, it is individual, and as far as the classes and stuff like that, and and passing the test. Um, but I, I would say the majority of that is how you are going to work and operate as a as a team member. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it, it's I mean, it's super similar to I mean, and you all, I would argue, you all spend just as much time in the water as the seals. So I mean, it's kind of like similar with the seals and uh, the green berets. I mean, it's all about the teamwork. I think you know, once you get into the other, like the tier one groups, it's more of kind of individual basis that they assess you on. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, I mean, it's, it's all of that. It's the, uh, I think anymore, you know, especially with social media being out there and the advertisement stuff going out, I see, you know, like, uh, the SF community, the green berets, they're doing more water work now. And then, uh, you know, the, the Marines are probably doing more land stuff and, and, and seals well, they're just, they're doing it all. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So at what point, so you had to go through, you had to go to Benning, right, to Airborne School. I did, yep. Went to Fort Benning for, uh, for Airborne, for Basic Airborne. Um, got my five five jump jump out of there. Um, um, so that's that's kind of begin, um, what, what the uh, pipeline kind of looks like now is um, once you graduate uh, BRC, you go into this, this pipeline now where you get your insertion tools. Um, your jump and your dive um, during that pipeline. Seer, probably your seer, you know, your uh, seer school as well. Um, whereas before, that was kind of a when I went through, it was hey, you, you got it when they could they could fit you in, right? Because the quotas weren't there, and you, you'd be lucky. And it's kind of like you gotta you gotta prove yourself to get to get to that uh, whatever school that you're looking at getting to, right? Yeah, I know when I went through airborne school, there was a bunch of uh, recon guys there as well as SEALs. 
Um, and it was such a blast. We had such a good time. That was a, such a that was so so much fun. Man, when you get when you go to schools like that, and it's uh it's kind of a joint venture there. You know, when you got all the branches going through, it, it's, it's, a, it's about a good time. Yeah, it's like a vacation. From, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, we're gonna take our first commercial break here. A word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back here with talking to Chad Shockin. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, here with Chad Chalky. We're talking about he was a Force Recon uh, MARSOC guy, and so we're just kind of getting that, uh, that angle. I've had about everybody else on here, and we wanted to get that, uh, get that covered and can't think of a better guy to do it. So, Chad... We were just talking about airborne school, and, uh, you know, once you – did you go to Halo school as well? I did, yep. And you you, all, you went to Yuma, right? Yeah, so that began at, uh, at Fort Bragg at the time. We were doing Fort Bragg uh, for classroom stuff and swing liner trainer stuff, and then, and then we went to uh, – actually went out there to Yuma to get our jumps in. Gotcha. 
Excuse me. And then, so at what point did you start spooling up? Uh, what you know? What deployments can you talk about, or some of the some of the things that you did in your military career? Yeah, no. So uh, it started off a lot. A lot of it, you know, before the war kicked off in um, in '03 with OIF, we were doing you know the the shipboard stuff. Um, we were doing Westpacs. We call them uh, Western Pacific uh, deployments where we would get on the ships and it was us and the SEALs as a uh, stock capability along with the infantry units um, forming this, you know, everything from, you know, hostage rescue to being that force that was, that was close by uh, in the interim that a, uh, a tiered force or a uh, national level force um, couldn't get in there in a timely fashion. Um, so we were doing that. Um, I did that from 93 or excuse me, 94 to 2003, right before the, uh, the war kicked off, um, got five deployments in on the ships. Um, and those, those took us over to the middle East, um, kind of same, same region that we were in, uh, just to be that force there in case anything happens. Um, you know, Kuwait, um, anywhere from the middle Eastern countries to, um, down there in Africa, with Mabasa, from Philippines, Thailand, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, we kind of covered that whole Pacific region, and we would just keep pressing on whenever, uh, you know, at the uh, at the pace of where they needed us for whatever was going on. Right. So you were you were like the QRF for that uh, the quick reactionary force for that region if you when you were there. Right. Right. right correct. Yeah. So. Um, in 2003, I know I worked with some of you guys. I was uh, before I became a pilot. I was on the ground as well. But I know I worked with some of you guys in Anijef, uh, a recon team. I don't, I don't know which one it was, but uh, that, that would have been in like first of April of 2003, I think, or maybe middle of April. Okay, yeah, that would have been first. It could have been first or second. We kind of combined when we were over the off the war. War uh, second, we were augmented by fourth recon as well. But first. Uh, first recon kind of had their first force kind of had the uh, the helm over there. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I think we were all in before before it actually kicked off. I think, but um, yep. yeah. So when was your first deployment to Iraq? So that would have been for the kickoff. Um, we touched ground in Iraq. We were there in Kuwait. Uh, I forget when we got there. It was like uh, January something, um, and then we actually touched ground. Um, we staged in Kuwait, and then we touched ground. Uh, February 2020, 21st, something like that, 19th, some, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, there was a lot of assets in country before the actual big stomping ground came across the border. Yeah, and our, our, our piece at the beginning of that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't huge, um, but, what it, you know, there was a, a, small, a small piece of uh, high, highland there just across the border and it was called Safwan Hill. And uh, we went up there to be the eyes and ears um, for the regimental combat teams that were that were pushing across. So they bombarded the you know the the bejesus out of that hill before we went in there. And uh, the actual first night we were going in there, we ended up taking fire, and um, the the insert didn't happen. Uh, the pilots ended up getting vertigo. Um, you know, we 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 almost became the first uh, casualties of that war because the uh, the pilot got vertigo and ended up slamming it. You know, hard hard right bank going down the hill, uh, slammed us all into the in the fuselage there of the of the helo. 
and uh, ended up going back to to Kuwait and pushed in like a day or two. I think that was the 19th, and then we did go in on the 21st. Yeah, yeah, I know there at the beginning. Well, yeah, at the beginning they had an Apache. Uh, the guy got vertigo and he crashed that thing. That was yeah, in Kuwait. Yep. Yeah, vertigo's nothing to play with. I've had it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so. I guess let's just jump into the to the combat stuff. I mean, can you uh, talk about some of the close calls you had, or um, you know, just some of the yeah, so the stories you got. You know that that deployment, nothing big. We were doing the hunter kill mission, um, just going out <laughs> pushing the contact. That's that's what our our job was, and we were tasked by uh, Mattis himself. He was like, you know, get up here, start making your way towards towards Baghdad, and uh, and that's what we did. So. Um, a lot of it was just, you know, push to push the contact and and very very little contact. I mean, the, the regimental the regimental teams, as you everybody might know already, once they started pushing, I mean, we couldn't even keep the log trains up with them um, to keep them replenished and stuff. Once they started pushing and didn't really come under under any uh, scrutiny contact, they just kept pushing and uh, they they pushed fast and hard into Baghdad. Um, so when we got up there, that's kind of when when we got to see uh, a little bit more, um, a little bit more stuff. That's, that's kind of, you know, I was 11 years, yeah, 11 years in the, in the Corps at that time. And, you know, that was the first combat for me uh, to be seen as far as getting shot at and, and having to, uh, to do my job. And, and, uh, you know, so that was, it, it, it opened my eyes to different things. Um, you know, I, I talked about this in a, in a couple other interviews and, and whatnot and, and stuff and it's about it's about mindset you know you alluded to that at the beginning uh, we all come in there we all sign on the dotted line to do um to do what we're going to be doing and we all sign we all volunteered for it so with that there be, there's there's an understanding of that it's inherently dangerous when we have to go do our job and you have to understand that not everybody you know everybody's going to deal with it differently and and whatnot um but there, there's, there's kind of an understanding about that. Um, and when I, when I found myself, you know, on the X for the first time, it was good. Everything went fine. Um, but it was, it was afterwards. It was afterwards. It was like all these kind of emotions and, and feelings that I was going through after that, you know, I don't want to say be morbid and say first kill or whatever, but, you know, that, that first time was, was like, yeah, why, am, why am I feeling like this? This is my job. I'm supposed to be doing this. Um, why, why do I feel this way? So I, I did some research. I got back in, uh, after that deployment and I did some research, you know, and some folks will say, you know, they feel differently about it and, you know, um, whatever, but I, I went through what I went through and I wanted to understand it. And it was an emotional thing where you go through it and, uh, like I had to, I had to stop because we pursued after it happened, after the firefight happened, um, the other knuckleheads laid their stuff down and ran back, you know, away from the contact. So we pursued them and I was pursuing them on point. I was a point point man pursuing these guys and I couldn't hear shit. All I could hear was my, my heart beating in my ears. And I knew that's not where I should be if I was, if I was dealing with that. Um, so I, I simply said, Hey, you're going to have to take point because uh, um, I, I shouldn't be up here right now. And, you know, dealt with it and everything. And, and, uh, and I got back, I was like, why, why was that happening? I mean, that was something I've trained, I'm physically fit. 
why was that happening? Find out it's a, it's a natural response or can be a natural response um, to a traumatic, if you will, type of, uh, of instance. Um, and that's, that's how I dealt with it. Now, I can say after that deployment and all the other deployments I've done since then, I never had that problem. I never had the problem of my body, you know, doing something or telling me, or if I did, I just didn't identify it. Um, so that, that was weird. That, that was kind of weird for me, um, thinking that I was in full control and understanding what, what was going on and, you know, ready for it and all that stuff, and then I dealt with that. So, Yeah. No, I, I don't – yeah, I think uh, – man, I don't know if I could have said it better. I'll add something to it, but we're going to take another break here. Word from our sponsor when we come back, and we'll continue this discussion. That's the, I'm glad you brought up that point. Okay. Right, we'll be right back. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, we were just chatting, we were just talking, or Chad was just brought up a really good uh, point about 
uh, we'll say we'll say skirmish for the lack of a better term. Let's just say the first skirmish he got into, uh, he didn't realize how his body reacted. And I mean, I can relate to that because you know when it's it's one thing to train and you train your butt off and you know you know you you know that guy to the left and right have your back, you know that you're the pinnacle of what an operator should be. But when you hear that first crack, that snap of a bullet going by your head, the one that was meant for you. It's, it's a, it's a different, uh, different kind of feeling. <laughs> I, I know that uh, it's, it's very difficult to put it in perspective or even explain it, but you know, it, it it's that, uh, I just, I don't know, Chad, do you think you can explain it better than that? I, I, I don't know how to explain the emotions and the feelings that go through that when, when somebody's you know actively trying to kill you. Yeah. So it was for me, you know, we, we kind of, I don't know how the army does it or, or the, uh, the Navy and air force and stuff, but you know, every, every Marine, when they shoot on the rifle range, they call, they pull what they they call it the butts. All right. That's the target going up and down. It's in this carry system where it goes up and down. So you're very familiar with the crack, right. Around going over your head, you know, breaking sound barrier, all that stuff, air coming back together. You're very familiar with that. So when you, when you hear that, you know, that wasn't so much, you know, it's almost, I don't know if they do that on purpose to, to desensitize us to it or, or what, um, but if they do, kudos to them because it, it works. Um, but once, when you hear that, you know it's close. You know it's, it's far too close or closer than what you, you wanted. Um, so that's what, what I knew in, in my first, you know, contact skirmish. Um, you know, the guy got rounds off first, you know, and he impacted the wall just to the right of me. I was down in a kneeling position in the shadows, you know, on nods, lasers and all that stuff. And once that happened, it was an instantaneous, you know, trigger pulled, saw my laser on him, trigger pulled and it, and it, and it went where it was, where it was supposed to go. Um, so that was all good. It's just, yeah, that, that sounds, that sound is, it's, it's either a very familiar sound to you and you know that it's far too close uh, for comfort, or it may be an unfamiliar sound to you and you don't know necessarily know what that is. Um, so you kind of get that, that startle response of, or, or you freeze and like, what the hell was that uh, kind of uh, response to it? Uh, at least is what I, what I've seen for with some folks. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but yeah, you, you know, in your training and everything, when you're doing that, uh, I mean, we in the reconnaissance community and, and, and across the board in the soft community, we do a lot of live fire stuff. You know, shooting around each other, very close to each other, and all that stuff. So that com- you know, that's second nature. Um, that's not a problem. So you're you're kind of you're kind of used to that stuff. You know. Um, so yeah, that, I think what I was alluding to is that yeah, you're the, you're used to the to the whistles and the cracks, but there's a very distinct difference between that crack and then that bullet that's meant for you, that it's that close, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I just yeah. think that was a weight. I think that, that was, was a thing for me um, when that did happen. And I knew we had to do what we were doing there. And that was the startling thing for me was why am I hearing my heartbeat in my ears right now? And I'm not, you know, doing my, my building my essay through my senses and, and hearing and all that stuff when I, I can't, all I can hear is my heartbeat. Yeah. I think it's such an adrenaline push and dump, you know, cause you, you're, you're good in the moment cause your, your training takes over 
you eliminate the threat. It's kind of afterwards when stuff's winding down, it's that adrenaline dump. And, and, you know, that takes me to another point is that's why a lot of guys come back and they're depressed or they get on these motorcycles and end up hurting themselves or killing themselves on a motorcycle because they're trying to replace that adrenaline. Because when you do, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight deployments and you're living on adrenaline like that, adrenaline is an addictive, it's an addictive drug. Oh, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we put in there, um, you know, any team I was in or part of or a unit that I worked for, we would do a, a decompression, um, you know, a couple, a day or two of just decompression. And it's, and it's that it's letting everything settle, go through your recall of what happened, um, you know, what you could have done better, you know, your after actions and all that stuff. Um, so we, we use that as a decompression time to just let everything settle down. And then, hey, you know, two days later, three days later, you get uh, tasked again. You got to go out go out on mission. Yeah. I mean, that's what you got to do. Yeah. That's like you said, that's what you signed that paper for. Yep. 100%. Uh, so how many deployments did you end up doing to Iraq? So I did, I did one to Iraq um, with recon. Uh, once I deployed, uh, did that first deployment, I got uh, orders over to SOTG, which is our special operations training group, and we teach um, the CQB, the assault climbing, the uh, special reconnaissance or RNS reconnaissance and surveillance, uh, as well as urban sniping. Gotcha. Gotcha. So did did you <clears throat> did you ever go to Afghanistan? I did. Um, I did. Deployment. I did one deployment with the Marine Corps uh, to Afghanistan, and uh, several more with uh, with a job I took um, after the Marine Corps after I retired. Gotcha. As a contractor. Yeah, yeah, I was a PMIC. Gotcha. So, man, you know, I mean, it's you know, you had an awesome career, twenty years. You know, if you could go back and change anything, what would you change? Oh man, you know, I, I just had this discussion with a, a buddy of mine the other day. Um, I honestly would, I wouldn't change anything. Um, I, I would do the same, you know, go to go join the Marine Corps, do reconnaissance. Um, you know, the Marsoc is a, is an up and running full force, uh, unit now. Um, so I, you know, am honored to say that I was a plank owner over there going out with the first, uh, first MSOB. Um, from the West Coast to deploy to Afghanistan, um, Philippines and Afghanistan. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just right place, right time, good timing, whatever it is of my, you know, for my life, um, I, I, I wouldn't change anything. It's the same answer from everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we all did it because we loved it and it's what we wanted to do. But um, what, are you, what are you doing now? Uh, so I'm, I kind of run my own consulting uh, advisement uh, company try out of training solutions and I've been on a contract um, for the DOD here for the past almost nine years winding um, no down all the all the money is kind of kind of getting re-diverted or it's washing up now with the uh, Afghanistan thing winding down so um, looking for that next chapter in my life <laughs> gotcha that was such a cluster I mean that we could do a whole episode on how they jacked that up I think oh, but. oh man yeah I mean, with, with everything that happened over there, you know, all the many of, you know, good, solid Americans, patriots that went over there and did what they did and lost their lives or left a part of them over there, 
Um, and to do it the way we did it was just, it, it was a, it was a slap in the face to those those guys, you know, or even to the folks that did come back and, and serve several um, or for the amount of time that they did. It was just a huge, huge smack in the face, and it was all for naught. No, no I, I, com- I completely agree. I get so mad when somebody asks me about it. I, I, I depicted it a little bit different. It's like a straight square kick in the balls for me. I mean, it, I just – I can't believe that it went down like that. It's just – it's I don't know. Like I said, we could do a whole episode on just bitching about that, but yeah, yeah. But, uh, so you know, I do get a lot of questions about uh, that community. So if you were if you were to talk to uh, a young gentleman now that was deciding to go on that path, what advice would you give him? Um, do it if that if that's what you want to do, or if that is what what is appealing to you, do it. Um, you know, get yourself, make sure you're you're uh, uh, physically fit. And, and ready to go, and not just physically, but, but mentally, you know. And what I mean by mentally, mental, mentally is, you know, when it starts hurting, when you have a ruck on or you're in the pool and your legs are burning or you're exhausted, keep going. Keep going because that's what it's going to take, and that's, that's the mindset that I'm talking about. That's what you need to be able to do, um, you know, to do that type of job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just like you, I mean, you said it very, you said it the best at the beginning. I mean, there's just failure is not an option. You know, you're not going to quit no matter what you do. You have to pass out or whatever, but that's what you just yeah. got to do. You got to get that mindset and be able to overcome that little bit of pain that you're going to have to go through because, you know, it's necessary. It's a necessary evil. It It, it is. And you got to, you got to kind of come with that. I mean, that's not something that can be that's not something that can be taught. It can be developed. You got to kind of have it already. It can be developed and you can, you know, really uh, fine tune a, a mindset and whatnot. But, you know, if you don't, if you don't have it, if you're, you're coming there and, and thinking that you're going to fail or, um, you know, when, once it starts, you know, we call it the suck factor. Once that suck factor is up high and you're, you know, you got that, uh, that thought in your head that, Hey, I'm done, or maybe I should just move on and do something else. Then that's, that's not the right, that's not the right job for you. I agree. I agree, man. Well, Chad, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, you know, I, I think you have a great story. I'm sure we could go another hour or so. We're about to run out of time on, on, uh, on our air time here, but you know, again, I want to thank you for coming on and I want to thank you for your service and everything you continue to still do for the country. Hey, likewise, Patrick, I appreciate it. And, uh, it was a pleasure uh, coming on. Yeah, man. We'll keep in touch. Sounds good. All right, for everybody listening, uh, we're going to have our last show for the the year on Monday night, and then we're going to see what we're going to do after that. So, you know, uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed this year as much as I have. It's been a great pleasure for me getting to uh, tell the help, tell these stories, get these stories out there. You know, these stories are are very important. Uh, These are some of the most important people in our our country. We owe everything to them every day. And so – You know, I just want to say God bless everybody. God bless the United States of America, and God bless our military. Everybody have a good night. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken. Hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. 
Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.